Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Yoruba traditions. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Let the talking drum speak. Let the talking drum speak of the beginning. The beginning of all things. The beginning of life. Before anything else, there was Orisanala, the great godhead. That being without being who contained all things. Orisanala dwelt among the clouds, and it was attended by a servant named Atunda. For countless moons, all was balanced and whole. But over the ages, Atunda grew to resent Orisanala. And one day, he rebelled against his master. While Orisanala slept at the bottom of a mountain, Atunda rolled a massive boulder to the peak. Then, he let go. The boulder tipped over the edge and plummeted toward the godhead. It rolled faster and faster until it crashed into Orisanala. Orisanala shattered into a hundred pieces. All of the aspects of life that had once been whole and completely in balance were broken, sent flying in every direction. But Atunda had not destroyed Orisanala, no. He had created something new entirely the fragments of Orisanala gave rise to me, Olorun, the Supreme Being. And the splintered pieces of the universe became my divine children, the Orishas. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we begin a two-part narrative about the Yoruba god Obatala. He was one of Olorun's many children, known as the Orishas. But Obatala was different from his siblings from the beginning. And if Yoruba myth is to be believed, we all owe him a debt of gratitude, for he's the one who created the Earth as we know it. Coming up, we meet Obatala, and he takes on an epic quest to find his purpose. Today's myth comes from the Yoruba people of West Africa. Mostly residing within the borders of modern-day Nigeria, the Yoruba have a rich cultural history full of colorful stories about the pantheon of gods and goddesses called Orishas. While these tales originated in West Africa, 
they have since spread to many different corners of the world as a result of the African diaspora. Starting in the 15th century, millions of African people were transported from the continent to Europe and the Americas as part of the Atlantic slave trade. Despite being torn from their ancestral lands, these people took their spiritual beliefs with them, passing them down orally from generation to generation. As a result, the Yoruba belief system has survived and adapted to various cultures throughout the world, though it's known by different names. For instance, Santeria in Cuba, Candomblé in Brazil, and Voodoo in Haiti. The incredible staying power of the religion is a testament to how stories of the Orishas speak to the beauty, magic, and dangers of being human. Because the Yoruba gods and goddesses are not aloof, omnipotent beings, they are, like humans, imperfect. They grow and change. They have light aspects and dark. They do battle with themselves and others, which, of course, makes for great stories. And one story in particular paved the way for all the rest to come. The tale of Obatala and the Golden Chain. Before the first humans, before the Orishas, before even Olorun, the supreme being, there was only Orisanala, which contained all of the universe, everything that ever was or would be. Orisanala was subsequently shattered into a hundred pieces. These shards of the universe gave rise to the Orishas, beginning with Olorun. For a while, they all lived in harmony in the sky. They were distinct, but the Orishas never quarreled because all of their needs were met by Olorun, the supreme god. Of all the Orishas, only Obatala wasn't satisfied with his sublime existence. There was a restlessness in his spirit. He spent his days sitting at the foot of the gnarled baobab tree, gazing down at the dark, watery world below. The realm of Olokun, the fierce goddess of the sea. Obatala sighed. His brothers and sisters had their special powers. They had a reason for being. But Obatala couldn't shake the feeling that he should be doing something other than feasting and drinking and dancing. His musings were cut short when his mischievous brother Eshu appeared, leaning against the baobab tree. Obatella, you moo moo. What are you looking for down there? Must you tease me? Don't you have anything better to do? You're one to talk, wasting your time staring at the waves. There's nothing down there, just like there's nothing in that empty head of yours. Leave me alone, Eshu. Why do you pester me? Because it's amusing. Although, perhaps, it's not your fault you're such a simpleton. Maybe when your peace broke away from Orisa Nila, you didn't get any brains. <sighs> Obatala merely wrapped his white robes tighter around himself, careful not to react to the taunting. He didn't want to give Eshu the satisfaction. His eyes returned to the churning waves below. Suddenly, he found it impossible to look away. He felt like if he only looked into the sea long enough, he could find an answer to the question that was burning inside him. One day, he took his concerns to Olorun. 
The supreme being looked at him compassionately, their chameleon companion Agamo sitting atop their shoulders. Obatala, my son, you look troubled. Does something in the Sky Kingdom displease you? Merely say the word, and I will change it to suit you better. No, great Olorun. Everything in the Sky Kingdom is perfect, but that's the problem. There's nothing for me to do here. All of my brothers and sisters have their places. Orun Mila can foretell the future, and Shango controls thunder and lightning, and Oya has dominion over death. But I have nothing, no reason to exist. Hmm. Did you have something in mind? I've had a vision of something rising out of Olokun's watery domain. Another kingdom. Another kingdom? Yes where life can take root and flourish, and I can help create it and watch over it. This means a great deal to you, doesn't it? It does. Very well, my son. I grant you leave to travel to Olokun's realm and create a new kingdom. I wish you luck. Thank you, Great One. I will do you proud. Olorun smiled at their son's enthusiasm. Maybe this was the right task for Obatala. Neither Olorun nor Obatala thought to consult Olokun about their plans, even though the sea had always been her territory. Obatala was so excited for the adventure that he got to work straight away. He knew exactly who he would talk to next. His brother Orunmila had the power of prophecy. If any of his siblings could help guide his quest, he was the one. Ah, Obatala. I knew you'd show up. Of course you did. Do you know why I've come as well? Naturally. A new kingdom, eh? Hardly seems necessary to me. But then you've always had different sorts of ideas. Will you help me? I confess I don't really know where to begin. This is a dangerous undertaking. It won't be easy. That's why I need your help. Please, brother. All right. I already know you're not going to change your mind. So come, let us see what the palm kernels tell us. Orunmila laid the tools of his divination out in front of him. Sixteen palm kernels, a bag of powdered bark from the holy baobab tree, and a wooden tray. He sprinkled the tray with the powder and cast the palm kernels onto it. Huh? What does that mean? Obatala watched anxiously as Orun Mila cast the palm kernels again and again. After casting them eight times, Orun Mila sat back, an enigmatic smile on his face. Then the Orisha of Prophecy took the long golden necklace from around his neck and held it out to Obatala. You're going to need this. Why, brother? What did the colonel say? You'll need a chain of gold to descend to Olokun's watery realm. Naturally, the chain will need to be very long. You'll need all the gold you can find. A chain of gold. Got it. And what else? A bag of palm kernels, a snail shell full of sand, a hen, and a black cat. That's it? Are you sure? Brother, remind me. Which one of us can see the future? 
All right, all right. Can you at least tell me what the black cat is for? That is for you to figure out. Knowing he would get no further answers, Obatala left Orunmila and immediately set about collecting the items he would need for his journey. The sand, the hen, the black cat. The snail shell full of sand was the easiest. It was considerably harder to catch and cage the hen, and it was almost impossible to find and capture a black cat. Still, even the cat wasn't the most difficult item he needed to procure. He still needed to find enough gold to make a chain that would reach Olokun's ocean realm down below. And the only way to do that would be to convince all his brothers and sisters to part with their jewelry. Obatala started with his brother, Shango. He found the fierce warrior practicing with his spear and shield, though what conflict he was preparing for, Obatala couldn't say. Obatala convinced Shango that he did not need fine jewelry. His muscular physique needed no adornment. Flattered, Shango agreed to give Obatala his gold piercings. Obatala went to Ogun next. The hunter was happy to part with his few golden trinkets, as long as Obatala didn't take his weapons. Oya, goddess of transformation and death, supported Obatala's quest as well. The way she saw it, a new kingdom of living beings meant more death as well, which would only increase her power. Yemaya, the river goddess, was the Orisha with the most jewelry, and it was difficult for Obatala to get her to part with it. She loved all her earrings, necklaces, and bracelets, and didn't want to see them melted into an ugly chain. Obatala only managed to convince her by promising his new kingdom would have plenty of rivers for her to frolic in. She sent Obatala off with a kiss for luck. Eshu the trickster wasn't so easily swayed. Did you fall from the baobab tree and hit your head? You must be mad. No, I... Then you must think I'm mad. Why else would I give you all my gold for this pointless quest? Please, brother. It's a very long way down to Olokun's realm. I need every piece of gold I can get. That sounds like your problem, not mine. Think about it. I'm going to create a new world. There will be plenty of opportunities for you to play tricks and sow chaos. Obatala thought he might have convinced Eshu, but after a long moment, Eshu shrugged and gave him a smile. No, I won't give you a single piece of gold. Good luck getting to Olokun's realm without it. (laughs) With that, Eshu walked away cackling to himself. Frustrated, Obatala looked down at the basket of gold he had managed to collect. There was a lot of it, but he didn't know whether it would make a chain long enough to reach the waters below. There was only one way to find out. Coming up, Obatala descends to the perilous world below. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. 
Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hakeman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath, from murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Now, back to the story. It can't be done, Obatala. I'm sorry. Obatala's face fell in dismay. He had done everything Orunmila said, collected a snail shell full of sand, a hen, a black cat, and every piece of gold that his siblings would part with. Only his stubborn brother Eshu refused to give up his gold for the cause. And now Obatala's entire mission was threatened. What do you mean it can't be done? It just isn't enough. It has to be. This is every piece of gold in the Sky Kingdom. Is that so? Every piece I could get my hands on anyway. <sighs> With what you've brought me, I can make you a fairly long chain. But I cannot guarantee it will reach all the way to Olukun's realm. What does that mean? You might get stuck between the Sky Kingdom and the ocean. May even be miles short of what you need to safely reach the waters. Oh, well, just make it as long as you can. I'll find a way. Great, I'll get started. Oh, and could you make a large hook on one end? As you wish. While the goldsmith worked, Obatala gathered up all the supplies he had collected the snail shell full of sand, the palm kernels, the hen in an ornate cage, and the plain black cat in a sack. It was a lot to carry, particularly with the cat squirming and yowling, but he managed. The goldsmith summoned him once the chain was complete. Obatala gratefully accepted it. Then, wasting no time, he swung the hooked end over the moon and dropped the chain so that it fell through the clouds, dangling down toward the dark waters far below. By this point, Olorun and all of the other Orishas had gathered to watch Obatala's departure. Eshu grinned, his teeth glittering alongside the jewelry he'd refused to give up. He slapped Obatala on the back. Don't look down. Hush, Eshu. Now that it was actually time to leave the Sky Kingdom behind, Obatala found he was nervous. His heart pounded in his chest. Was he making a mistake? Perhaps he should just stay in the sky with his brothers and sisters. 
But no, it was too late to lose his nerve. He'd come this far. He had to at least try. So, with a wave to Olorun and his siblings, Obatala took the chain firmly in his hands and began to climb. And climb. And climb. It was slow going because Obatala took great care with each step. Burdened as he was with all his supplies, if he fell from this height, he would most certainly drown. As he got further and further away from the Sky Kingdom, he left daylight and moved into twilight, then complete darkness as far as his divine eyes could see. All in all, it took him seven days to make the descent. His arms shook from exertion, his stomach growled with hunger, and his throat burned with thirst. Just when Obatala was beginning to feel like he couldn't climb for another second, he extended his foot to the next link in the chain, only to be met with empty air. He was at the end of his rope in more ways than one. As the goldsmith had warned, the chain didn't reach all the way down to the water. Obatala was stuck between the sky and the sea. He hung there, swaying in the darkness for what felt like an eternity. Then he thought he heard a voice echoing from above. It sounded like Orumila. Use the sand. Obatala carefully pulled out the snail shell full of sand. He turned it upside down, letting its contents fall into the sea. Obatala squinted through the darkness to see what would happen. To his surprise, the sand seemed to magically expand upon reaching the water. Where before there had only been dark, swirling water, now there appeared to be a vast, flat expanse of sandy earth stretching out in every direction. That was certainly an improvement and a great first step toward creating a new kingdom, but it didn't solve Obatala's immediate problem. The land was still too far away from him to safely drop down. Just then, he heard Orun Mila's voice again. So Obatala carefully reached up behind him and opened the cage where he'd kept the hen. The bird instantly unfurled its wings and took flight. As it landed, it used its beak to move the sand, shaping it into peaks and valleys, creating ravines and even the rivers that Obatala had promised to Yemaya. The new kingdom was really beginning to take shape. And even better, it just so happened that the hen had created a mountain right beneath Obatala's feet. Finally, he was able to let go of the chain and drop onto solid ground. Thank Oleron, I made it. Who would have thought that sand in a hen could do so much? Should probably have a name. Uh, I think I'll call it Ife. Yes, that sounds right. The place where the waters were divided. But there was still much work to do. As if on cue, Obatala heard Orunmila's voice again from on high. Obatala took the small bag of palm kernels out of his robes and began wandering the new earth, dropping them as he walked. 
everywhere he went, plants instantly sprang out of the ground. Within seconds, they were fully grown, and soon the kingdom was covered with lush, green vegetation. The palm trees came in handy. Once Obatala had finished planting, he cut down a few trees and used them to fashion a hut for himself. When that was done, Obatala sat inside and stared out. I wish I had someone to share all this with. Yamaya or Shango, even a shoe would liven up the place. The cat! I almost forgot! Oron Mila, you crafty devil! Obatala eagerly released the cat from his satchel. He tried to hold the animal close, but it squirmed in his arms, yowling and clawing. Obatala quickly let it go, and it wandered away from him into a corner, where it blended into the shadows. Obatala only knew where it was by the sound of it licking itself. He frowned at the feline. He knew that he ought to be grateful for the company, but he found himself wishing that Orunmila had thought to send him a more sociable creature as a companion. A dog, or even a chameleon like Olorun's, would be nice. As if Obatala's thoughts had summoned him, Agemo the chameleon suddenly wandered into the hut. The Orisha had never been happier to see the little lizard. Obatala, Olorun sent me to see how you're faring. Olorun is too kind. They've been so gracious to me already, letting me create this world. What do you think of it, by the way? Have you ever seen anything like it? It's nice. A little dark, though. And cold. Hmm. You have a point. Perhaps you could ask Olorun if they could make something to provide some light and warmth. Good idea. I will speak to Olorun and see what can be done. Obatala watched the chameleon climb back up the mountain and then up the golden chain, disappearing into the clouds. In the darkness, he looked up to the sky, waiting for... Well, he wasn't sure exactly, but he had a feeling it would be spectacular. When Agamo finally returned to the Sky Kingdom, he told Olorun what Obatala had said. Olorun agreed that Obatala's new world should have light and warmth, and they had an idea for how to go about providing it. Olorun reached out into the inky black space below the Sky Kingdom and stirred up the gases with their massive hands. Then they snapped their fingers, creating a spark that ignited the gas into an explosion. Olorun contained the exploding gas with their two hands, molding it into a sphere. Then they threw the burning gas into space, not too far from the Earth. The heat from the newly created sun helped dry up some of the excess moisture that still remained in Ife and set the Earth to spinning, as it still does to this day. Down in Ife, Obatala smiled as the warmth hit his face. With the sun in the sky, he could see that his new kingdom was even more beautiful than he'd imagined. For a time, Obatala was happy. Days and months went by, and eventually he grew tired of having the black cat as his only companion. Even after creating an entire world out of nothing, he still felt like something was missing, like he hadn't fully realized his purpose. 
One day, Obatala was sitting near a pond, contemplating his loneliness, when he caught sight of his reflection in the water. It was the first face he'd seen since he left the Sky Kingdom, and it gave Obatala an idea. Working quickly, Obatala took some clay from the edge of the pond and began to form it into the shape of his body. Before long, he had a full-size clay figure, then two, then three, then a dozen. Obatala couldn't stop making them. Seeing the figures alongside him, it was almost like he had a family again. But the work was tiring, and he took frequent breaks to drink from the pond. It was during one of these interludes that a shoe appeared by Obatala's side, wearing a mischievous grin. Eshu was impressed despite himself. Obatala had done well with his new world, which meant it was time to create some mayhem. Coming up, Eshu plays a trick that changes the course of human history. Now back to the story. The world had changed immensely since the Orisha Obatala had descended from the sky to the sea on his golden chain. And yet, despite all he had accomplished, Obatala still felt like something was missing. Searching for a sense of purpose, Obatala decided to mold figures out of clay. A world needs inhabitants, of course. But he was interrupted when his brother Eshu the trickster suddenly appeared by his side. Eshu, what are you doing here? Is that any way to welcome your first visitor? Second, actually, but I am happy to see you. I must have been more lonely than I realized. How sweet. So, what do you think of my new kingdom? Eh, it's fine. Hardly seems worth the trouble. I just saw how hard you were working down here and thought you might like something to drink. That's kind of you, but you needn't have bothered. I have plenty of water. <laughs> you need something stronger than water, brother. Something to fortify your strength and your creativity. Here, have some palm wine. <laughs> this isn't one of your tricks, is it? No tricks. Just a delicious, refreshing drink. Have some or don't. It makes no difference to me. And with that, Eshu vanished just as mysteriously as he had appeared, leaving a flask of the palm wine behind. Obatala stared at it for a long time. Then he uncorked it and gave it a tentative sniff. It smelled delicious, but Obatala was loath to trust Eshu, so he told himself that he would just have one sip to see how it tasted. It tasted even better than it smelled, and soon, despite his best intentions, Obatala had emptied the entire flask. All the while, he continued working on his clay figures. He felt energized and creative, almost invincible. But the wine had so dulled his senses that he didn't realize his craftsmanship was becoming rushed and sloppy. Some of the figures were missing hands or feet. A few more had eyes that were covered or ears that were blocked. 
However, in Obatala's drunken mind, all of his handiwork was perfect. There was just one thing missing. As the clay dried, the figures hardened and became dull and cracked. They just stood there, lifeless. Obatala could shape them to look as much like him and his sisters as possible, but only Olorun had the power to actually bring them to life. Obatala just had to get the message to heaven somehow. Agimo! Agimo! Where's that little lizard when you need him? Yes, Obatala. <laughs> oh, there you are. Look, I need you to ask Olorun for something. And what might that be? You see these absolutely beautiful clay figures that I've molded? Um, yes, some of these are very nice. Tell Olorun to bring them to life. Please. All of them? Are you sure? What do you mean? Of course I'm sure. It is just what this kingdom needs. All right, all right. I'll speak to Olorun. While Agamo again climbed up the golden chain to speak with Olorun, Obatala waited anxiously on the edge of the pond, surrounded by his handiwork. By that point, the effects of the palm wine were starting to wear off, and he could feel his energy and confidence fading. Meanwhile, in the Sky Kingdom, Agamo relayed Obatala's request to Olorun. Bring the clay figures to life. What an inspired idea. Yes, but Olorun, you should know. Obatala will finally have a use for his powers. Sons and daughters of his own to provide for and protect. Yes, but he seemed a little strange. Like he had taken leave of his senses. Ah, he's likely just drunk on the pleasure of creating something new. I know the feeling well. Now, let's see about these creations of his. Olorun took in a deep breath. Then they exhaled a mighty blast down toward Ifei. By then, Obatala began to notice the details of his latest handiwork. If Olorun brought them to life now, some of them would suffer, and it would be entirely his fault. No! Olorun! Wait! But it was already too late. Olorun's breath blew gently across the clay figures, and they began to come to life. Obatala looked on in wonder as the statues around him started to breathe and move, shaking off the clay, turning their faces up to the sun. Obatala watched the first people stretch and flex their muscles, marveling at the feeling of life. Even the ones who he wouldn't have originally thought of as perfect were beautiful in their own way. He was proud of his work, and Obatala vowed to make up for his carelessness. From that day onward, he promised to look after and protect everyone with these unique differences. For their part, the first daughters and sons of Ifei quickly went about making the most of their new lives. They followed Obatala's example and built huts of their own out of wood and palm fronds. 
the village of Ife grew and prospered for generation after generation. The people hailed Obatala as king of the white cloth, and they paid tribute to him for helping to give them life. And Obatala was thrilled to have people to watch over and protect with his powers. He finally felt like he had accomplished everything he set out to do. But watching the people of Ife go about their lives and start families of their own, he began to long fiercely for his own brothers and sisters, who remained in the Sky Kingdom. So one day, Obatala climbed back up the golden chain and returned to the sky, where he was greeted warmly by Olorun. Obatala, my son, you've returned. Yes, it has been too long. I wanted to speak with you, and with my siblings. Of course. This calls for celebration. We will have a grand feast tonight to welcome you back properly. That night, all of the Orishas were in attendance, and Obatala took the opportunity to speak about the wonders of Ife, in the hopes that his siblings might decide to join him. My brothers and sisters, I've come to tell you of the marvelous world I've created below. There's something there for all of you, a reason to use your unique gifts. The Orishas gathered around the table, leaned in closer, intrigued by Obatala's words. For you, Orunmila, there are young people with complex futures to divine. And for you, Oya, there are the elderly who need a shepherd into the world beyond. And for you, Shango, there are men who quarrel and need a fierce warrior to show them how to fight. And for you, Ogun, there are woodsmen who need a master huntsman to guide them. Obatala was thrilled that his brothers and sisters seemed interested in venturing down to Ife with him, only Ashu refused to be convinced. Obatala, you speak of the beauty and wonder of the world below, but why don't you tell our brothers and sisters the truth? What are you talking about? I've seen this Ife with my own eyes. The land is hot and dirty, full of dangerous creatures and irksome pests, and these people who you created, who you speak so highly of. Some of them are missing hands and feet. Some cannot hear or see. They are imperfect and weak. I'll admit, life in Ife is more difficult than here in the Sky Kingdom. The people are not perfect, but neither are we. That is the beauty of it. That's why they need us, and we need them. To give us a worthy reason to use our powers. To give us a purpose. Obatala spoke with such passion and clarity that all the Orishas were convinced. And when Obatala climbed back down the golden chain to return to his kingdom, he was joined by all of his brothers and sisters, even Eshu came along, though he complained the whole way down. Once the Orishas arrived, they quickly came into their own roles. Obatala saw Ogun in his green and black robes, teaching the smiths to make tools and weapons. He saw Shango in his red and white armor, showing the soldiers the art of battle. He saw Yemaya in her flowing blue dress, sitting by the river and showing the people how to fish. 
He saw Oshun resplendent in yellow, teaching the women a graceful dance. And he saw Oya tending to the elderly, helping them pass on from the earthly realm to the next. Even as Shu made himself at home, instigating disputes which caused the people to challenge old ways of thinking. With all of the Orishas present, Ifei fell into a natural balance, a cycle of war and peace, creation and destruction, death and rebirth. Obatala felt whole and fulfilled for the first time in his entire existence, completely and utterly at peace. He gave no thought at all to the fact that his kingdom had been built on the territory of a very powerful, very temperamental Orisha. Olokun, Orisha of the Sea, watched as her brothers and sisters paraded around through Obatala's new kingdom, the one he had raised from her domain. Without so much as even asking her, he was an arrogant fool, and she would make him pay for disrespecting her. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with the second part of the adventures of Obatala. Join me as Ifei faces peril from the sea and the heavens, which Obatala may be powerless to defeat. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into a dark, classic fable. We'll be back next Tuesday with the conclusion of this epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Nani Okwelagu, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Kai Jordan, and Julian Smith. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.